What's good? Welcome to the first ever Spitcoms podcast. I am Tyson Haskins from Salt Lake City, Utah. And in this program, we interview people from our favorite television sitcoms, and then they help us make raps about their shows. It's only fitting to start out this podcast in this way because of what The Office means to me. And I'll tell you a little background before we get into our interviews. I'm kind of reminding myself right now of when you look up a recipe online and all you want are the ingredients, but then they give you 20 minutes of explanation about how it was passed on from generation to generation and their great-great-aunt from Scotland used to make it for their relatives. And I don't want to do that, but this is pretty relevant to the story. And if you don't want to listen, then you can just jump ahead to the interviews. He finally has a story we really want to hear. He knows it. So back in 2013, uh, it was a difficult time in my life, and I leaned on the office quite a bit for relief and comedy, and I became obsessed with it. I started watching it towards the end of the seventh season while it was still on TV and just fell in love with the characters and the dynamics, and I went back and watched them all the way through multiple times. Uh, I found this website called Office Tally where all of the diehard fans went and commented after each episode and left funny, funny things and uh, just loved it and fell in love with that community. Uh, Office Tally offered a contest to go to the office rap party at the end of season nine. And you had to make a one minute video explaining why you were the biggest fan. And I dabbled in rap for a little bit. It was a great way for me to figure out my own feelings by forcing myself to form them through rhyme. So I just made a rap and stuffed as many references in as I could and threw the video together and I couldn't believe that I won. Uh, so I got to go there and meet the majority of the cast and there was a parade and a panel and Steve Carell showed up and surprised everybody and a concert and uh, it was just one of the best experiences of my life. So. I have to talk about The Office first. During quarantine, about a month into it, when everybody was really going crazy, uh, I found Andy Green's book on The Office and oral history, and I loved every page of it. I study The Office religiously. I work in television. It's one of my favorite things. And in this book, I found so many things that I didn't know and that were really eye-opening for me. And I loved it. And I said, I got to figure out a way to talk to this guy. And here he is, New York Times bestselling author, Andy Green. Super big fan of The Office. It's great that I can talk to another big fan of The Office. Have you been a fan Thank since you. the beginning? It wasn't the very beginning. I got in around season three and then just mainlined it and then got super into it. But I was not in at the very beginning. Your book, absolutely loved it. The Office, the untold story of the greatest sitcom of the 2000s. Executive producer of The Office, Jen Salata, says that your book is fascinating. Jenny Tan of the top office site, Office Tally, calls it a treasure chest of new details. The book's compiled of 86 interviews that you conducted, and you did it over the course of a year. Uh, yeah, it was the busiest 12 months of my entire life, but yes, it was one year. <laughs> I can imagine. Um what can a diehard Office fan expect when they read your book? Yeah, they can expect to, to go behind the scenes of the entire show and, and to hear the whole saga, both from the point of view 
of the cast, but the crew as well. So you'll hear from all angles from the caterer and the boom mic operator and the writers and, and the producers and the warehouse workers. It's sort of the story of the office by every single possible viewpoint. That's amazing. What was the most surprising revelation uh, you discovered while making this book from interviewing all of these varieties of people? I mean, I learned so much about how much craftsmanship went into every episode, how a team of writers obsessed over every line. Uh, but as far as news revelations, I think the thing that surprised me the most was James Gandolfini was almost hired to be the new boss of the company in the, in the eighth season. It's, a, it's this big what if of office history of what would have happened if they hired Gandolfini and not James Spader. It, it would have been a very different like final two seasons, I think. For sure. In my opinion, a, a much better eighth season. Speaking yeah. of that, speaking of that, how did you approach asking like the cast and the crew and the execs about some of the more controversial topics like like Robert California and uh, Steve Carell's departure? Yeah, it was sort of delicate. It was easy to talk about Carell's departure because it's not that controversial. It was just kind of surprising. You know, I was at Ben Soberman's house, who's the show's who's one of the top producers. He had the idea to uh, bring it to the States. And he just told me just flat out that Carell wasn't offered a new contract. So that really stunned me. I had no idea, but he would know. I mean, he was running the show. And then I heard that out of like seven more people all top people, all producers and some of the head writers. So it sort of just became fact. You know, there, there, are, there, are, there are other people who had different takes on it who thought that he wanted to go and do movies. I think it was complicated. I think he was ready to leave, but was willing to do more and then didn't get the offer. Uh, so I just asked. And with James Spader, I just sort of point blank ask. I go, I go how was your experience to like, work with James? Did it go well? You know, And they told me their stories. And the stories varied. I think the beauty of, of an oral history is you can hear the same story out of like eight perspectives and it varies a bit. And the truth is always somewhere like in between all the stories. So you can sort of just, you can decide for yourself about what's true and what's not true. Did you leave anything out of the book that you kind of regret or something that's worth note, uh, like any quotes or interesting chapters that you just couldn't find the right spot for? There's a few things. I got way into the wardrobe department and how they banned, how they found white shirts and the various stores that, that they go to and sort of the whole process of, of finding clothing that was very Scranton-like and a building character wardrobes. It was just too much detail. And I sort of, I look back now, I sort of wish I had a few more things about how they got all the outfits together because it was funny. I had a I had a chapter about Scott's Tots. Nice. Uh, and I just didn't have enough about it from other people. I spoke to Gene and Lee, the two writers about it. I just didn't have enough. And I kept hearing that some, that some fans loved it and some hated it. And so I, I am not sure I saw the key episode. Those things I didn't get in. I mean, there's sometimes, you know, I would go down long paths and, and drafts about some various warehouse workers and what their lives were like. And at a certain point, I couldn't have a book that was like a thousand pages. I had to make decisions. What What are your thoughts about fans loving an episode like Dinner Party that you did in oral history about yeah. years ago? And then on the other hand, they don't like episodes like Scott's Tots. I love Scott's Tots. In both those episodes, they were written by Gene Stubnitsky and Lee Eisenberg, 
who are great guys. They're geniuses. And they and their version of Michael is Michael at his most pathetic, his most cringeworthy, his most just you can't even watch at times. You feel so bad for the guy. And it's you, you know, you he makes you just shiver with embarrassment to watch him. And that's their favorite Michael, because because there are many Michaels. There's Michael the jerk, there's Michael the moron, there's Michael the great salesman, there's Michael the lover. You know, there's many Michaels, but their Michael is certainly my favorite Michael. And I, I love Scott's Tots. I think part of what's hard about Scott's Tots is it's one thing if he's messing with people that are in the office, that work for him, that gets paid. It's another thing if he's ruining the lives of totally innocent parties. I came here today because I promised you tuition, and tuition is very valuable. But you know what's invaluable? Is intuition. You know what that is? That is the ability to know when something is about to happen. So to watch him in a school with kids that need money for college and think they're getting it, and he's not going to give it to them, it's a different kind of athlete-like behavior that's harder to sort of watch. <laughs> sure. I can understand that. The office really helped me feel a sense of comfort during a tough time in my life. I think a lot of people can relate to it on that level. What would you sure. say makes people keep coming back to it? I think that during difficult times or during this pandemic now, when we're out of our comfort zone and we're kind of trapped and our real lives are not what we want them to be, to start binging the office, you sort of disappear out of the present and into the world of, of Thunder Mifflin. And you're, you're back with your friends, Stanley and Creed, Oscar and Phyllis. And you just sort of float away. You're back in this, in this world of comedy, and humor, and romance. And it's just an easier place to sort of set your mind for a few hours. And I think people take a lot of comfort in the familiar. And it reminds you of these easier times in your own life. And you just get to turn your brain off and float. And it's a great feeling. Like sometimes people just have it on in the background even. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen some a thousand times, so I, I can just watch in chunks. I could be making dinner or I could be working on something. I could look up. I could see Kevin and his M&Ms and just laugh. You know, it's just I get sure. a quick flash of something. And it's still funny to me. And I've seen some of these a lot. I spend a year of my life thinking about The Office and writing about The Office, being stressed about The Office. But I still watch it now. I still watch it for fun, which, which is a, a real testament to how, to, how, to how wonderful it is. How do you think the the office leaving Netflix will affect the show's popularity and ultimately its legacy? It depends on how well Peacock does. I know that they're trying to be a new Netflix and they have a lot of stuff that they're going to have. They're going to have a new Saved by the Bell revival, new Punky Brewster. They're going to have a lot of the NBC library. So if it gets picked up in a big way, like Disney Plus was that came from nowhere to tens of millions of subscribers. So if Peacock is able to take off, I think that, that the legacy of The Office will be fine. If it's a failure, if it's like another Quibi or whatever, which just doesn't really work with people, it's going to be a problem because the continued popularity of The Office is really rooted in Netflix, that young people are able to just mainline it at will. Come January 1st, that's going to no longer be an option via Netflix. So it's going to hurt a bit, but Peacock shelled out a half a billion dollars for it. 
So that's what's happening. It's crazy. You're a Brooklyn guy, and this show that we do, Spitcoms, is about TV and rap, like kind of combining those two passions. Uh-huh. So I got to ask who your favorite rapper is. You're in the, the mecca of hip-hop. I mean, I hate saying his name now because of what's happened to his both his views in the past two years and his music. But to me, the run Kanye West had from the first album through Yeezus is the best run in the history of hip hop. That each album is so different, so unique, so bold. My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is one of my favorite albums of all time by anybody. It's, it's when he was on, he was the best. And it's been painful as a fan to watch. I could deal with his politics. I don't agree with them, but whatever. It's just these last two albums to me have been horrible. I don't see anything on them that I really enjoy. And it's such a bummer to watch someone that talented to lose it that quickly. So I'd say Kanye. I love that Kanye's up there with me as well. 808s and Heartbreak, probably my top oh. two or three albums. Brilliant, brilliant. Made so quickly and it's so emotional. He he like invented Drake on one record. Yeah, people people just don't acknowledge that how how much that album influenced hip hop for yeah. you know and ten years that's after. The, and that's the genius of Kanye is to do something that different, that distinct, that bold, launch a whole new genre, and then just walk away from it to do it once. That's what the great artists do. They don't get stuck in one place. They do something amazing, then they don't repeat it. There's so much pressure to repeat the past that so many musicians, they get stuck in this loop of the same thing. And it's always best the first time. So the real genius is, it's like David Bowie or something. You you just move on. In every single episode of Bitcoms, we make a rap about the TV show that we're talking about. So what's okay. a fun offers reference that I can get from you to include in the rap? Jeez, let's get, let's get in some landmarks like uh, Poor Richards and Steamtown Mall and Lake Scranton. Okay. Just, think, just things around town. I like that. We'll throw it in. Okay. Andy, thanks so much, man. Uh, I got my book from Amazon. Where can the diehard Office fans pick up a copy? It is everywhere books are sold. It's on Amazon. It's Barnes & Noble at your local indie shop. You can, you can get anywhere. That was senior writer of Rolling Stone, Andy Green. Appreciate him being on the program. A fellow fan of good TV and good hip hop. Make sure and listen for his references he threw into the rap at the end of this podcast. Now we're moving on to our interview with a man who needs no introduction, but he'll tell you who he is and where he works anyway. Played by Bobby Ray Schaefer, this is... Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. I thought as an idea for something that we could do was to do kind of a mini oral history of Bob Vance. Is that cool with you? Sure. Just before The Office, you know, John Krasinski was waiting tables. Jenna Fisher was, you know, a part-time receptionist. Where were you at that point uh, when The Office was just beginning? I had uh, a big national uh, commercials running. Uh, I did six spots for Cobra Golf with David Ferry. And I was also managing uh, a nightclub in Studio City. Um, and, And so... I was doing guest star spots as well and in my independent films. So uh, I hadn't really gone full time. I mean, where acting was solely my way of making my living. 
until the office. Um, you know, there would be periods where I would live off of a movie for a while. <laughs> but then I'd always have to get another job, you know, waiting tables or bartending or managing restaurants. I designed bars. I sold cigars. I sold uh, entertainment uh, investments. I, I was broker for oil wells. Uh, I did a bunch of stupid stuff. But wow. that money always goes back into your acting career. You know, you're running, I'm running a business here. It's an acting business. I'm the product. So all the money I make, I have to buy pictures. I have to have wardrobe. I have to do this. I have to go to the auditions. I mean, it's, it's an expensive thing. So anything you make has to go back into the business. Right. I can see that. That's a great way of looking at it. Right, you're the product, so you have to figure out a way to sell the product. That's what it really down to. How did you sell your product to Greg Daniels and to maybe Allison Jones? What was the audition Allison, process like for you? Allison, Allison Jones was the first stop. It was Halloween. I didn't realize that until I got. I was late getting to the audition in Hollywood because of the traffic and all these people were out in like crazy costumes, right? And I go in, I'm sweating, I'm, I, could, I was 15 minutes late, I'm the last guy of the day. You know, I, I'm just there to take this meeting. I don't care if I get this job. I want to influence Allison Jones into bringing me back. You know, she's the number one comedy casting director. I'm thrilled to be in the office. I had seen the show a couple of times. I thought it was weird. You know, I didn't really know what they were doing. I, and I hadn't studied it. And I had seen the British version. And so I did it a couple of times and they liked it and you can tell when they like it and then when I went outside right immediately after I was standing there on the sidewalk and these three girls were dressed as angels and they all started uh, you know <laughs> messing with me with their wands and all this stuff and so I remember thinking well that's maybe an omen or something and then two weeks later I get a call for the callback and I go in and Phyllis is there and there's, you know, some pretty serious dudes are up for it. And uh, I know all these guys, right? I see them all, all the time. And, I mean, it's not like there's a whole bunch of new guys in my age range. I mean, you know, I, you know the, the people you audition with after 20 years of auditioning. Sure. And uh, sure. Phyllis made the choice, I'm pretty sure. Um, you know, she liked me. Um, they had me do a bunch of improv, and I didn't really know it thing about the character at all you know all I had was you know two pages of material it wasn't like I had Bob's bio there yeah. you know so I just was I'm winging it and they kept okay react to Michael Scott and so I know Michael Scott's an ass and that's all I really know and uh, so the, you know the next morning I was on the set shooting I was the first guy up the next day that's amazing yeah because you hear about yeah. Bob Vance the character before I believe we actually see him on the show Talk about your first episode and what was that like going in the next day right after your audition? It was great. I mean, I Christmas party, the first episode. My whole thing was I was just going to be really energetic. I was going to hit these guys with a big punch of energy because they're like the three droll guys, you know, Stanley and Kevin and Ryan. I mean, they're like king of droll. So I'm like, these guys aren't even going to know what hit them. I'm going to come in so fast and hot. Does everyone know my boyfriend, Bob Vance? Kevin Malone. Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. Stanley Hudson. Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. Ryan Howard. Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. What line of work you in, Bob? And, I, and Ryan broke on the first take. I cracked him up. He didn't make it. 
Okay, he's busted out laughing because none of them knew what was going to, you know, I didn't rehearse it the way that I played it. And the way I played it's what's in the, in Wheeling did two takes of the original Bob Vance Vance Refrigeration bit, uh, the, the three repeating repetitions of it. But that week was great because all those people are just wonderful to work, work with. I mean, I was immediately part of the family, um, you know, obviously, and uh, never stopped feeling that way. The only trap for an actor in that is you want more, 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 not less, less. You know, when I played basketball, I didn't like being the guy sitting on the end of the bench watching the game. I wanted to be in the game, getting the getting the rock up. In the book, you mentioned this. You say that there's this dreaded thing called deep background. If you got stuck in the deep background, you had to stay there, and it didn't matter if you were doing nothing, I was always there at parties at the weddings with Phyllis, but often I didn't really speak. That's very humbling. You had to learn to accept certain things. I learned to get over that. I mean, really all I did uh, every time, every, every scene that I'm in in that show is all about Phyllis. I didn't do anything else. I made everything about her. None of it's about me. It, you know, I, I feel like I'm incidental to the whole thing because I was just, you know, there to love her. That was sure. my tr- trick, by the way. Love. No, and it, it really shines through, actually. There's this uh, meme that goes around that says uh, everyone's talking about Jim and Pam are goals, but don't forget that Bob Vance bid $1,000 just to hug Phyllis. Have you oh, seen yeah. this one? Uh, yeah, I've seen that one. That's a good one. Um, yeah, I see some of those memes. I mean, they're right on the money. I mean, I told Phyllis at Casino Night, I said, we want this to be true love. First love. Your first love, you have blinders on. You never looked, saw anything else, nothing else. You know, people used to say to me, why doesn't Bob beat Michael up? And I'd be like, that's not, first of all, it's not funny. <laughs> that's not a fight. You know, that's over. That's over immediately. You know, that, that was always way Michael was scared of Bob, you know, that was great subtext for him. And of course, um, uh, story I was telling somebody the other day when Phyllis at Phyllis's wedding, Bob says the line, if you ever lay a finger on Phyllis, I'll kill you. Well, you know, anybody that knows my work from psycho cop, you know, I, I've played a horror villain. I mean, I'm the title role in psycho cop one and two knows that I know how to say that where it'll scare the bejesus out of you. (laughs) But, of course, I say it very friendly to him. I mean, there's a big smile, but the threat is underneath, right? So uh, that was great because we had a screening of that at Greg Daniels' house, and Harold Ramis was there, great actor, uh, director, and uh, that killed him. So I was just watching him the whole episode. Am I killing Ramis? Yeah, all right. Yeah, anytime you impress one of the Ghostbusters, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. The bachelor party, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think back of uh, Michael throwing that? I mean, these shoots, um, some of them, you know, you go in, you're done in an hour. Sometimes you're there for five days. It, it depends on what the episode was. That one, I was in and out. So I love those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I always got it didn't matter if I did five days or did one day, you know, it was always the same. So one day was always better. I imagine Bob and Phyllis's wedding. That was, that was a five dayer for sure. That was great. In fact, uh, I met the president uh, uh, during that episode, president Donald Trump. 
So we were at the NBC section of the Golden Globes, right? And he came in and the charisma was unbelievable. He was the biggest star in the room, even then. This is 2007. So I go up to him. I introduce myself to him and say, Mr. Trump, hi, I'm Bobby Rich here from a show called The Office. And he, he says, Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. And I'm really, yeah, that's what he said. The thing is that those shows is you have to act like you're happy that you just lost to Ugly Betty. Like, oh, yeah, Ugly Betty. That's a great show. Yeah, that's really good. We just lost Ugly Betty. Oh, oh, Michael Scott didn't, uh, Steve Carell didn't win the Emmy for uh, Michael Scott. No, they gave it to the Big Bang. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, it's, uh, I believe it's one of the biggest travesties. complex character in television history, and they never bothered to give him an Emmy? Hello. Wow. The nerve. One of my favorite scenes is when he is trying to steal the wedding and puts up a toast and uh, does not say favorable things about Phyllis, and you take him into the back. Uh, what do you remember about that scene? You know, the trick with that scene, Tyson, is that you you can't know what's coming. You can't anticipate what he's going to say, right? I know what he's going to say. <laughs> I've heard it a bunch of times. We rehearsed it. So you can't anticipate that, you know. So the whole thing for me was to hear it for the first time. Every time you have to hear it for the first time. And so you can't get ready to come up and get him, you know. Uh However, when we shot that, we didn't rehearse it. Uh, the bit where I take him through the curtains. And the problem was, is those really heavy curtains, and there were three steps down immediately. That is, we were on the top step, and then right away, three steps down. Well, he got caught in the curtains, rolled his ankle, fell down the stairs, and hurt himself. And he's laying on the ground screaming. <laughs> I am standing there like, holy sh- I just hurt Michael Scott. I just hurt Steve Carell. I opened the curtain. I screamed, help. Oh, no. <laughs> There's two sitting out there. And here come the charge of the, uh, the ADs and the producers. And the thing was, is he had hurt that ankle when he was making Evan Almighty. So it was already weak. Well, I'm glad he persisted through it. That's a great episode. And I, and I believe you even talk in the book about um, just how much of a workhorse he is and how different it was to work with somebody of his caliber as opposed to to other shows and just uh, how he set the example for everybody else on the set. Well, that's the thing. You, I already knew that. I mean, the leading guy always sets the tone. It's up to him to set the tone. You know, what's this show going to be like? What's this movie going to be like? Are we going to screw around? Or are we here to really focus and concentrate on this work? You know, one thing that always drives me crazy is actors carry these cell phones around now and in between takes, they're bringing them out. And I'm like, what? You can leave that in your dressing room and look at that when we're done with the scene. Every scene he's in, he drives. Every scene's about him. Um, So the amount of work, just the memorization of and you have to do it exactly in network television not sort of not kind of not dyslexically you have to be exactly what the what the word is people always ask was there a lot of improv hell no there was no improv 
The only improv was when these guys tried to crack each other up, but that was Jim and, 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 and Dwight and uh, Steve. The other cast members were not blowing takes. You're not wasting time. You don't want, yeah, that's funny. Ha ha ha. Everybody laughs, but the producers and the director are looking at you like, are you burning tape? Really? Who are you? <laughs> I don't know. Don't do it. Right. No, you're there to speed, you're there to speed things along. You're not there to uh, be the star, to be the funny guy. There is one, there's one or two funny guys, right? Not everybody. Uh, I read in Andy's book that it said that you did improvise or said a line differently. And then Greg Daniels came up to you and said, uh, do you mind uh, saying this the way that I wrote it? I said, no problem. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is my line was much better. (laughs) That was the only reason I changed it was because it was better. I mean, here's an for instance for you, since you know a little bit about the show sure number one number one fan and all that yes sir i'm with royalty we were shooting um agra hell of an episode niagara absolutely uh, we're at the hotel the scene is me and uh phyllis are in bed asleep michael's wandering around he's trying to find a place to sleep i think he ends up sleeping by the ice machine or something i forget but anyway, he can't, nobody, he, he tries to crawl in bed with me and Phyllis. And uh, I thought, well, you know, this is, Bob just wakes up. You know, he feels Michael's presence. Boom, he wakes up. So I do that. I didn't say anything. I just woke up and looked at him. You know, I was like, Bob senses the danger. Well, I thought that was funny, but Greg didn't think so. He said, no, no, just, just stay asleep. <laughs> so... Those are the kind of little things, I mean, that you, you know, but and you're referring to an instance where I did actually change a line and I only did it. <laughs> I did successfully uh, add one uh, in uh, uh, Blood Drive. I added, would you like a, a big piece of meat? <laughs> <laughs> and that was after we uh, came back from a little escapade in the disabled uh, restroom. <laughs> that's right that's right intended <laughs> and that that then made broadcast that stayed in but that was my improv line you talk about when you guys are filming the finale episode and it was a big surprise that steve carell came on at the end and you said you were just chatting with phyllis and creed and then all of a sudden you hear the voice of michael scott what was that moment like well, I mean, it's a very distinctive voice. I mean, uh, we hadn't heard it in a while, so it was good to hear it again. And I turned around, and there he was. And so I was like, is that – because I could only see the back of his head. And I said, is that you – know, you know, he wore the same suit for seven years there. So he finally had him in a tux for that. So I couldn't tell if that was his suit, different suit. But, no, it was great to have him back. And obviously, to get the last line of the series, that's what she said. Come on. Perfect ending. Who do you still keep in touch with or bump into once in a while from the show? Well, a bunch of people live here in Studio City. Um, I see Creed. I see Jenna every now and then. Uh, Phyllis is in St. Louis mostly. Uh, Michael, uh, Steve lives in not too far away. And I, you know, I when I made Dick Dixter, I used um, Calvin Tenor from the warehouse. I put him in the movie. 
I was going to put Phyllis in, but I thought, you know what? No, I really want this world to uh, remain separate. I don't want to cross those two worlds. Our show, uh, Spitcoms, it combines the best of television comedies and hip hop. Is Bobby Ray Schaefer a rap guy? I couldn't. I mean, I know Dr. Dre and those all those old school guys, right? I mean, I don't really follow it. Um, I'm making a movie, though, uh, Psycho Cop 3 called Hip Hop Psycho Cop. There's okay. a, a theme song. I've written a rap song. It's that Hip Hop Psycho Cop, Crazy Cocker Gonna Shoot You If You Smoke That. Bang, boom, he in the room. Got the nine out, he laughing too. <laughs> there we go. Hip Hop Psycho Cop. We're going to put together a rap about The Office. And I love to ask the guests, what reference from The Office do you think that we should include in there? Paramaries. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love that one. That's Par- a very Bob Vance. Paramaries. Wrestle day, my man. I love that scene, man. You know, I've been saying this for 15 years now. I wish I, well, I wonder how many times I've said it. More importantly, how many times have I written it? You know, refrigeration, that's a long word. <laughs> and and there's no D in it. People always put these D's in refrigerate. There's no D in there. It drives me crazy. Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. <laughs> Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. What line of work are you in, Bob? You didn't have to do this for us, and we sincerely appreciate you sitting down and talking to us. And maybe like choosing a favorite child, but like, is there a project that you've been involved with that you feel most proud of and, and where can people see that? Dick Dixter. Other than the office, I'm the proudest of the office, of course, but um, I really can't. I like them all, you know, they're all, all part of the the journey. You know, the, the thing about acting is it's really the making of the thing that matters it's not the watching of it you know i mean you never know what that's going to turn out like right and there were shows that i did at the office i didn't even tell anybody i was in the episode because i didn't know if i was going to be in the episode so you don't want to call everybody up and say hey i'm going to be in this episode and then they cut you out of the episode you don't know you think you're going to be in <laughs> you know you like it like i did a a a, a a Geico commercial with Kenny Rogers, right? We played cards together. Uh, he sings The Gambler. Famous spot, right? And you know they're not cutting that. There's no way. <laughs> they're paying Kenny Rogers, Kenny Rogers' money to show up. So they're not going to not use it, right? Right. So uh, those are, you, you, you go, I'm in this. There's no way. I'm, you know, so how do they shoot it? <laughs> am I am I in every shot? Am I, am I going to make the episode? Bob Vance, I've uh, fifteen years. That's a long time to hang on to a character. I mean, it's still alive. I still do these cameo for the fans as Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. Every day I play Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. All right. So, am I tired of it? No. Will I ever get tired of it? No. So, am I, am I thrilled to be honored? To be part of the greatest, one of the greatest shows ever on TV. Yeah. Yeah. Long way from Pinch Ridge, West Virginia. I can tell you that.
That's so great. And yeah, I know the fans are, are very grateful when you're having a bad day to have that show on in the background and just to look up and acknowledge funny little jokes that you forgot. It really, it makes all the difference some days. And so thanks for contributing to that. Well, my pleasure. Happy, happy to. Bobby Ray Schaefer, you're the man. Thank you for doing this. Booty. paper company and can't get away from an annoying boss that thinks attention is pay but what can we say i think that we can relate i know i've looked into a camera that didn't exist when my boss has stupid questions and i'm pleading the fifth i've teased a couple co-workers just passing the time i've had a pair of mary send me to the back of the line that's right consider this a threat level midnight on this mic the insights go hard like a date mic yup nice to meet me michael clump is cheeky can't see me like blind guy mcsqueezy from sun up to sundown fun runs to rundowns bet all your shrew bucks this show sticking around whether it's netflix or peacock i'll kick back and rewatch if the office is nike modern family is reebok way more times than any show ever did i start no never so clever i read it dead before we put this to bed let's do the edge truck and bobble your heads like i wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days i wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days let's go down to the warehouse and have a ball then we'll protest and boycott the steamtown mall run over coals at lake sprint and just keeping it real grab the special person telling them how you feel we'll go to poor richards learn to do the scar dress up like moe's playing fear in the barn hop in the pt cruiser and slide out of the town stop it by you to come burn it to the ground it's done to myth the forever we'll all stay employed over 200 episodes we run and rejoice not flashy enough don't mind to disappoint because beauty in the ordinary is kind of the point what's up For additional content and to keep up with what we have in the works, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on all of our social media.